Today's reading is Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9. It can be found on page 168 of the Bibles next to your sheets, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me as we begin. Our God of grace, as we enter these doors and come from lives lived in many different professions, different neighborhoods, different types of family situations, we also come from different kinds of relationships with you. Um, It really is all about our relationship with you, but we are in so many different places, whether we we feel like that's a close relationship or a distant one. Some of us come this morning and we wonder, was it a mistake to even come? Maybe a friend uh, invited slash dragged us here and it just kind of feels like, is this something I do? Is Is this something I could ever do? Some of us come with questions. Maybe our faith was stronger and that relationship with you felt vibrant at one time and now it doesn't. We wonder if you could ever be real for us again. Others of us come and we're grieving or we're sad. Um, Old loss or maybe new loss has revisited our hearts this morning. Some of us came here arguing with each other in the car on the way here. (laughs) Others of us may become celebrating and joyful. Maybe you've answered prayers and you've been real once again. And from all these places, the truth is we sit next to each other. We don't necessarily know each other's stories, but our stories have in common that we are more of a mess than we care to admit. And your story that you envelop us into is the story of you loving us more than we ever imagined so that simultaneously we sit a mess and broken, yet also loved deeply with a love that can satisfy because you move towards broken and messy lives through your son, Jesus Christ. So we come looking for that kind of grace, that paradox of amazing grace. We look for it and we ask that you join us now and teach us as we try to hear it this morning and help it to change our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to teach you a chant. 
If some of you already learned it in preschool, then that'll help. It'll be stronger. You just got to say the same thing that I say uh, with the same tone, okay? It'll be really fun. I'm going to make sure I don't screw it up because I'm not a preschool teacher, but... Okay, let me get... Okay, okay. Okay, ready? Couldn't sleep last night. With the thunder and the lightning, and the dog on the bed, and the chicken in the kitchen, at the Barnbell Farms. Want to do more? Couldn't sleep last night with the cows mooing, and the baby crying, and daddy snoring, and the chicken in the kitchen. At the Barn Bell Farms. <laughs> everybody, everybody seems happy that we just did that. That song is a metaphor for our life. You could, you could insert in there, couldn't pray last night, and then you could have whatever the thing. You could, you know, couldn't think about God yesterday, you know, didn't pray today, didn't open the Bible today, didn't apply my beliefs today, and then you click through all the things. Usually it's not a chicken or a cow, but there are other things, lots of things. A dog, yeah. Um, our heads are full, it seems, with noise pollution. And it's hard to hear if there is a voice calling to us, a deeper spiritual voice, someone maybe who knows our name we often don't hear it amidst all the noise. When I was growing up, I went to a Christian school, a Christian high school. I had a lot of Bible and church stuff growing up. And my, we had a Bible teacher in high school that said one day, you know, he was bemoaning the culture. And he said, what do we do when our culture, we live in a culture where people would rather read the back of the cereal box than the Bible in the morning. And my buddy popped his hand up right away and said, put Bible verses on cereal boxes? <laughs> that was so funny. I mean, we're, I mean, this is freshman in high school. That's pretty funny for a freshman in high school. <laughs> Laughed so hard at that. But that's the, you know, if you've ever tried, if you've ever tried to get going and reading something in the morning related to your faith, you can resonate with that. There's the newspaper. There's your phone. There's the, and go on and on and on about what, is pulling on you. It's like, take the computer analogy, we have all these windows open and we just need to not even just minimize them. In a sense, we really need to close a bunch of them so that we can get the right thing on the screen. The problem is, to take on that computer analogy a little further, is that we don't have unlimited RAM. You know, RAM, random access memory, it's the stuff that helps, you know, the short-term memory of the computer so you can run lots of windows and multitask. We don't have unlimited multitasking, so it's a problem, and things are popping up, and we don't have an effective pop-up blocker. So this passage clearly deals with this. You can tell, right? You can hear it talking. We, we read it twice, so if you didn't catch it, it was in the worship guide as the call to worship, and then it was also, James just read it, and it's all about getting these things into our lives. You know, put them on the door frames. All these different ways to get them into our lives. Put them on cereal boxes, you know. 
Living in God's love, though, is the point, isn't it? Did you hear that main? You probably, if you've been in a church before, you've heard, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And so, you know, you've heard these words. It's all about love. But living in God's love takes great intentionality. And it appears that these ancient people had the, without phones and without cars and without screens in every location they go, they seem to still have the same issue. There's nothing new under the sun with this. And I thought a way to just look at this and to hear this for ourselves today was to look at three of the words um, that are important to understanding this passage. So you've got to kind of ignore a lot of things, but let's look through three things to grasp what this means for us. Let's look at commands, let's look at the story, and let's look at practices. So first of all, commands. We're in Deuteronomy 6, and you see it, you see lots of mentioning of commands and stipulations. Right away it says, these are the commands and decrees and laws of the Lord your God. Um, It goes on, these commandments that I give you today, you know, and It's got all this talk about decrees, laws, commandments. And they're supposed to be somehow woven into the fabric of our life. Now, one of the problems that we have as we listen to that is that we don't have a lot of warm fuzzies about these words, commands, stipulations, and decrees, and commandments. Right? At least, I mean, that's not not our thing. Commands come in the form of a relationship of a, sergeant telling his officer to go out to battle and do this or that. They come in the form of a computer programmer telling a machine what to do. They come in the form of an officer who has someone in custody related to a crime telling them where they can go and when they can go there and what they can do and what they shouldn't do. Commands. And we tend to view commands so negatively Laws, stipulations, decrees, commands, none of those words are resonating with you right now as you listen to this passage. None of you, when this was read, said, oh, goody, we're talking about laws and commands. I love this. This is going to be wonderful. Nobody's had that feeling because we view this topic very one-dimensionally, actually. In fact, I think we can kind of, we should look at ourselves a little bit in terms of how we are one-dimensional in looking at this because all you have to do is look at a relationship of a of a parent giving commands to their children and tease that out a little bit to see how one-dimensional we, you know, just to write off the idea of commands and firm boundaries and yes this and no that. Um, If you don't know, I have four children and they're of all ages right now, so this applies in all kinds of different ways. But the most basic, you just think about parents. What are some of the things that are important that you know are really, really good commands? Stepping out into the street. No. No right? Don't do that. Uh, Butter knife. Electrical socket. No. (laughs) Right? There's, and and, um, you could go on and on. As my kids, with our kids, we're very open and honest. We talk a lot about everything. And so we talk about, you know, stranger stuff, who you, who you go with. And, you know, what if, Somebody has a story that my mommy, your mommy told me to come get you, all this kind of stuff. Talk that through. We talk about who, they, who can see them with their clothes off and who can't. There's some firm boundaries there. Who can touch them and who can't. There's some firm boundaries there. 
That's good, right? Those are firm boundaries. I mean, you don't, we don't like to call them this, but those are commands and laws and stipulations I'm trying, we're trying to put into our kids' lives. Why? So that they may live long and fruitful lives. We love them so much that we do this. It would be abusive for me not to and to let them go into those things willingly. So, that's one way to look at this word commands. And I think, our, you know, our problem is, honestly, on the human plane, there's so, many, there's so much brokenness in, in the Christian worldview. There's so much sin that when people get in command mode and decree mode, we screw it up all the time, including me as a parent. My anger gets involved. My impatience gets involved. And I have to say sorry because I was, you know, directing and dictating things and it was, it was coming from a wrong place. But... The parenting analogy, that comes about the closest to the real healthy use of it. And that's God is our Father, the Bible likes to talk about. So that helps us understand this. Plus, that's the language of the text. So that you may live long and increase greatly. It's the same thing I want for my kids. That's why I keep them off the street when there's cars going by. Jesus says, so let's look at these commands from just a quick couple, a few other angles. Jesus starts talking about commands in the New Testament. And in John 13, he starts this thing that uh, commentators call the great discourse in the Gospel of John. So if you, if you want a reason to open up uh, the New Testament today, read the great discourse in the Gospel of John. It starts, it's just a whole bunch of Jesus talking from chapter 13 to 16. Here's, here's what he says about commands. A new command I give you. Well, now Jesus is talking about commands. He says, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He goes on to say more about this in the next chapter. He says in, verse, in chapter 15, verse 12 of John, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Well, that sounds familiar. And then he, goes, he elaborates. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Okay. So... Jesus, maybe you've noticed in the New Testament, there's a lot less listing of commands and stipulations. There's a new era with Jesus in the development of God and his relationship with us. I don't want to go too deep into that, but Jesus, instead of itemizing a whole bunch of commands, someone does come to him, and in Mark chapter 12, we read this, and if you were reading the prayer book this week, you would have come across this passage where uh, someone comes up and says, of all the commandments, Jesus, which is the most important? And, he's, and then he quotes Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. The Jewish people even today know that as the Shema. It's recited over and over. So Jesus points to that, and then he strings it together with another one from another place in the Old Testament. He says, the second commandment is this, love your neighbor as yourself. So that's what he says. He just kind of pairs it down. Love God, love your neighbor. That's what Jesus says. Now, how do you make sense of this transition? Just one more passage. That just, just a little bit more on the thinking cap side. In Hebrews chapter 8, it describes that there's a transition in God's relationship with us as Jesus comes. And it's talked about as covenant. There was like this older covenant and there's newer covenant in Jesus 
Now, as a prep to this, just notice that when it's talking in Deuteronomy, what we read, it says at the very beginning, um, you know what, I don't, where does it say it? It says it somewhere here, it says, oh yeah, it says, I don't see where it says it, and I didn't mark this, but it says, like, bind them on your hearts, I think it says, right? If someone can find it, you can tell me what verse. So it says, bind, you know, connect them to your heart. Well, what's the Hebrews 8 thing that I was about to say? It says this, Hebrews 8, verse 8. But God found fault with the people and said, the days are coming. So this is, and now suddenly, this is quoting Jeremiah 31, now in the New Testament. So it's saying, here's an old prophecy that's fulfilled. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will not make... It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the land to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the house of Israel after that time. You know, the Jesus covenant, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So... With Jesus, we're in an era of it transitioning in some way. I don't even fully understand it. But that it transitions to something that is more springing from within because of our relationship with God. And we don't live in the old dispensation of the covenant that had all these giant boundaries placed all around you for how to walk and how to be. But there's a new era now. It's written on our hearts. So that's another way to to see what's happening with the progression of commands. New things have come true with Jesus. And as we transition to the second word, which is story, there's one final thing that kind of the word commands tells us. If you're in Deuteronomy, you always have to read a little bit around the passage you read to make sense of it. In fact, the best thing is if you read the whole book of Deuteronomy to try to understand any one given part. And in chapter 6, a little after what we read, this is what it says. So why commands? Why all these laws and stipulations? Here's why. In the future, when your children ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, laws, the Lord your God has commanded you? Tell them. We were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. What did you think the reason for rules in church was? It's kind of just a, I'm going to leave that one hanging. In the Bible, the picture is there's a story. There's a story. And it's a story of rescue. Every, everything that you might imagine yourself doing, every act of obedience or compassion or love can never be detached from the story of God. The story of God rescuing you. In fact, um, it's important to note the progression that the Ten Commandments and the sections of law-giving for the Israelites, they don't come before they are rescued And then, you know, they follow them correctly and they measure up to getting rescued. Well, if they could follow them correctly, they wouldn't probably need to be rescued. So they're rescued. And then they're shown what to do as a rescued people. 
They are given guidelines and guidance in gratitude. That's how the Christian faith works. That's how God's story with us works. You are rescued. Now you scratch your head and say, how do I live as one who is rescued? One who is really just in a troubled way. I was a rescued runaway. And now what do I do now that I've been brought back home? How do I act? How do I live? How am I different? Do you have a story? Do you know your story? The, you know, the story that you're, the bigger story that you're trying to fit your story within. We all have a story. And if you're unconvinced about maybe the Christian story, like putting that meta story over your life and, and letting it kind of inform, like, oh, how do I understand that this happened? How do I understand that? How, how do I make career decisions? And, you know, how do I pick a spouse? And how do I do this or that? If you're at all unconvinced of anchoring yourself in the Christian story, just, just ask, your, ask yourself about your current story. Does it have the, the capacity, the bandwidth, the teeth to deal with some of the things that your life might include or maybe has already included? Do you have a story that has the capacity to deal with losing someone so close to you that you don't even know how to move on in your life? Do you have a story that has the capacity to guide you through that, even if you can only get through it one minute at a time? Is there a story that you have that guides you? Or your career plans hit roadblocks, maybe lots of roadblocks, or maybe just one big roadblock. Do you have a story that helps you understand when you're not, your life's not going the direction you dreamed? Do you have a story that helps make sense of when you strike it rich? Maybe you do really well, but then, and you think your story told you that that's when it's going to be good finally. And then the emptiness comes and the bottom emotionally drops out because you have so much, but you realize suddenly I have so little. My story, does it have the bandwidth to explain that? Or to explain the opposite, financial struggle. Over and over, you pray for answers to come, and maybe the answers don't come right away. Do you have a story that makes sense of the disappointment? Maybe being wronged in some kind of huge way. You're filled with rage because you did not ask for this and you did not deserve it. Do you have a story that helps you deal with that and understand how to be human in that? So the Christian can look at any trouble, any difficulty, and, and I've seen it. And I've had a little bit of a chance in my short life to live it a little bit, but I, more so I've seen it in you and other people. The Christian story has the capacity that you say, oh yeah, I've been walking and rehearsing this story that, in, that prepared me for this. I, I don't like it. You know, I don't want it, what's happening right now, and I don't even know how I'll get through it, but I, I at least have a framework of a story that says, this is how this makes sense. This is how you know, the world isn't working out your way, and yet there still is a story to it. It's going somewhere. And the story is realistic. The story gets into how, you know, our devotion and focus is spiritual ADD. We are, we have very imperfect devotion. In the extended version of the Shema, the Jewish prayer that starts with Deuteronomy 6, it jumps to another part of scripture in Numbers 15, that has a similar feel to it. It says, speak to the Israelites and 
Say to them, the Lord is saying to Moses, throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at so you will remember the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Do you catch how you have commands, you have the story in there, but you also have this realism. The Bible often compares um, our spiritual condition to sexual addiction. That we just can't get enough and have to go to different lovers. Like that's that's a common analogy God uses. The realism is um, God, God doesn't just, you know, a passage like this doesn't include in commands and stipulations and, and ways to get those into your life just because you need to be a little bit better in order to get closer to God. You need to be a little nicer and a good person. But because um, we are so wayward and so flawed that um, we need a life filled with reminders of our rescue story because we keep needing to be rescued over and over again. We're very wayward. So, live in this story. Live in this story. Every Sunday we have a worship service that is filled with in, intentionally with things that guide us into this story, into these realities. We don't just walk in here like maybe you thought to do certain things that are a part of our tradition and it gives us that warm fuzzy and reminds us of a morality and, it, and it's just kind of a tradition we like. We also don't come because we want to get an emotional bump of feeling good about ourselves. We don't even come, I'll have to admit it, we don't even come for a pep talk from the pastor to try harder. We come to, be, to have the story invade our life. We come for the same reason that you might want to get serious about some other practice in your life. Sunday worship is a practice that kind of cements you into God's story more and more every time you come. That's why it's good to come regularly. But also, let's transition to that third, third word, practices. It's good to have other practices. Now we can finally, now that we've dealt with how to understand commands, it's like we put out that fire and we understand that a little better. Now we've talked about this story that it fits with, and now we can talk practically. How do you get practices, actions, routines in your life beyond Sunday worship that kind of helps you get this big rescue story into your brain, gets it central into your life, gets it central into your actions? Um, how do I anchor my life in this story? Part of it, this passage, it almost, it's almost a little bit comical, the way that it just is so incredibly tedious in telling the Israelites how to do this. You catch it talking about things that they should hear, that they should see, and that they should touch, so it's involving all the senses, or at least three of them. Um, it's also listing, you should talk about this when you're standing, and when you're walking, and when you're sitting. So it gives those three as a list. I mean, it's just itemizing. And then it says, uh, almost as if, you know, there was a group of people sitting around and thinking, like, what are some practical ways? How about we put it on the doors that we walk through? That's a place we go by a lot, you know? Put, 
put these things all in all these places of your life, all the time, everywhere, get it into your life. And so, um, and so we see this really deep truth that in order to live your whole life with God, wait for it, you have to live your whole life with God. I mean, that's kind of, that's this kind of sense, just do this, think about this, talk about this all the time. It's more than momentary enthusiasm. Um, momentary enthusiasm uh, is great, and it's a part of everyone's journey, most likely. You maybe know, have heard of the passage of Joshua in Joshua 24. Joshua is Moses' protege. He's the one that kind of takes, as they go into the promised land, he takes the leadership staff. Okay, so Joshua, he stands up in this big covenant renewal ceremony and says, um, how does it go? He says, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. It feels, you know, it's a ceremony. It's this momentary statement, and we need that, but we need Joshua and we need Moses, who says things like, Okay, so put, um, when you're walking, when you're talking, when you're sitting, um, put it on the door frame, put it here, put it there, put it on the cereal boxes, put it on your computer, banner on your computer screen or your iPhone that goes across every time you open it. I mean, that is, that is the kind of direction this feels like it's going. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames and houses. And leave them. I just fi- find it almost comical the way this is outlined. Can we get creative? Can we do the same? I've talked to some of you who you're, you've got, you blow me out of the water with some of the things you have in your life in terms of how many groups you go to that help you talk through your faith, read through your faith. You go to another Bible study. You also have these, this thing you do in the morning and this thing you do at night. It's incredible. Others of us, you might feel like you're way on the other side of that spectrum. And that's Okay. But it's interesting because I think that is the spectrum of creativity. There's no exact right plan. The idea is to get this story in practical ways as much as you can. I have uh, my recent phase of trying to put something into my life in a practical way is a prayer that pops up as an iPhone event on my calendar every day at, let's see what time did I put in here, at 3 o'clock. And, if, and it comes up as an alert, like it reminds me at that time, a couple of times, and I'm really good at ignoring it. <laughs> but this is the prayer, so usually I'm kind of OD'd on work busyness and the email vortex and all that, and I'm heading towards, this, this gets me heading towards the home front and kids at home. And this is my prayer. It's very short. I wrote this, and this is for the season that I'm in right now. God, my Father... You are ever so patient as you tend to my needs. You don't lash out, but you absorb even my duplicitous rebellion. You forgive me, and you return it with kindness and care. Help me to do the same today with my children. Amen. So, okay, that's one idea. Maybe you actually put something on your doorframe. I think that's kind of a good idea. If you do it, will you tell me? I'm, I'm intrigued by the creativity that might uh, spark from this. If you have kids, this will be really cool. Maybe you put on your doorframe some little thing that says, He is risen. Or some other key phrase, like I've, some people have said how important for them the phrase that we say up here in a little bit, Christ has died, Christ has risen, 
Christ will come again. Maybe you put that on your door frame. Maybe you put the, the voice Jesus heard when he was baptized. This is my son whom I love. In you I am well pleased. Or maybe you put that we have a great high priest. Or maybe you put um, saved by grace. And you put that somewhere in your field of vision every day. Maybe you transition to reading scripture or a scripture verse every day. That's the small step. There's some prayer books in the back that help you do that. They just give you the dates and they just, you just go right through it. You don't even need the Bible in the other hand because it's all in the prayer book. There's a couple of copies still left. Or maybe your grandma wouldn't like this option, but it seems to go with this text. Maybe you get a tattoo. <laughs> maybe you get a tattoo that says somewhere where you'll see it, maybe the back of your hand or something. Tattoos are cool right now. Come on. Maybe it says beloved or adopted or God is enough or healed or child of God or found or forgiven. The power of just a word or maybe, maybe you, please come up with some other idea. Please come up with other ideas, but please don't do nothing. And then together, in the next six weeks, we have a community scripture memory section. You'll see more of these. There's some on the back. And we're going to try to have fun with this. If you have kids, do it at home around the table. Put it in a prominent place. Some of you have history in memorizing scripture, and you laugh at how short this is. Others of you see it, and you're terrified. <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> by the length of it. Um, so I don't know where you're at, but this is three verses. And on the Sunday when we're done, I think, oh yeah, December 13, says it right there. That's the Sunday when we'll be talking about this verse on Sunday. It's an Advent passage um, from John the Baptist, um, or about John the Baptist, and it includes his quote. So this is our community act. So, you know, some, you want to summarize... Come to this worship service as much as you can because you need it to embed your life in the story. But find some other practice if you don't have them yet to, to, to be involved in so that it's not just here. And then also, let's do this together. Let's pray. Our God of grace, I invite you uh, to keep helping us. And th we thank you so much that you say you do, that you, uh, the promise, this incredible promise is that you, you're going to write your laws on our hearts, that you're going to teach us about yourself inwardly. So much of us wish that it felt more like that were true. <laughs> we wish we had obedience or following you or, or you know, moving our life towards you more. We wish you, we had that as a deep inner impulse. And so we put that even before you this morning. Would you plant seeds of great faith in our hearts? Would you plant your word in our hearts? And would you help us to be crafty and shrewd in how we need to minimize all kinds of other windows to prioritize you and your grace in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to say a prayer with me that is an offering prayer. It will be on the screen. And we, the baskets will come around and you can put contact cards in there. You can put offerings in there. Um, there's a musical offering that will be playing. And if you're newer to our church... 
and you don't call us your home church, this is not a, a, a nudge or a hope that you'll um, give to us prematurely. Just take your time. This is just something we do as giving all of our life and all of our worship to God. Um, I invite you to join together with this prayer. Generous God, we marvel at your lavish gifts to us, life and breath, food and shelter, opportunities for work and play, and most especially, hope and peace in Christ. We now pledge ourselves to mirror and reflect the glory of your self-giving love, to continue in the pattern of generosity we see perfectly revealed in Christ, through whom we pray.